0: Welcome, guys, to the Z Dog MD show. Uh we're live. It's um 922 Tuesday at 1241. I'm trying to go live to LinkedIn, Facebook, two different pages, Doc Vader and Z Dog, and YouTube at the same time using Restream. Already I think LinkedIn might have failed because it doesn't support 60 frames per second. Well, suck it, LinkedIn. You suck. Because I'm talking about social media today anyways, and we ought to be off all these platforms to begin with. So let me explain what I'm trying to say here. And I'm gonna pull up your comments as well. I recently watched the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Now a lot of people have asked me to see it and I said, you know, typically Netflix documentaries are all biased, they cherry pick data, it's usually garbage, it's often nutritional stuff, you know, we've ripped these apart before. But I did this one and I actually did a video called A Real Doctor Watches The Social Dilemma. Unfortunately, when I tried to post it today, guess what? Netflix blocked it based on copyright because we played clips of the video. So I couldn't post it. So now I'm gonna talk about it live and then appeal, because it's fair use to talk about a video like that, appeal it and get it up out there. So here's here's the bottom line. I don't know how many of you guys have seen this. I'm seeing your comments here, so they're coming through both on YouTube and Facebook. Um, the basic premise of this documentary is as follows, and it relates to our coronavirus response, it relates to how divided we are in society, it relates to the mental illness we're seeing in our children, particularly our daughters, it relates to why you effing hate that person that used to be a friend of yours, because when you see what they do on Facebook, they inflame you so much that you start to hate them IRL in real life. And the premise is this, that social media started with good intent, when they began to monetize it, it doesn't matter what the platform is, it became all about the customer. And guess who the customer is? It ain't you. The customer is the advertiser on social media. They're the ones paying the bills. Now this becomes very meta for me because guess what? We have a social media platform. Right now I'm streaming to Facebook, YouTube, maybe LinkedIn. So I'm taking advantage of this. I generate revenue with ads on Facebook that you guys watch. But increasingly, I'm disintermediating that, and I'm paying for it through supporters who are subscribing for a fee per month to get access to me in private videos, private discussion groups. Now, why does that change the dynamic? Because the premise of this video, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, is that When your customer is the advertiser, what is the user, you and me? By the way, there's only a couple industries that refer to their people as users. Basically, drug addicts and software companies, right? So we're the user, but what are we? We're the product. We are what the company is selling to their customer, and their customer is the advertiser. Now understand, the reason I'm starting with this is that that's the fundamental reason why everything in social media is so distorted in a way that it may well be destroying the very fabric of our culture, our society, our economy, and our children. Now, that sounds like hyperbole. It sounds like I'm just being crazy, right? Trying to get clicks, because that would sell clicks. Yeah, except that it's true. And this is why, all right? So, God, these live videos are something, because you're trying to formulate these complex ideas in real time. The incentives, how we're paid matter in medicine, don't they? When we're paid to do things to people, we do things to people. If we're fee for service, the more procedures, the more money we make. If we have a complication and someone gets sick, we do more procedures to fix it and we get paid more. So there's no incentive for quality and safety and outcomes. There just isn't. What about social media? When the incentive is get as many advertisers' eyeballs, you, on the advertisers as possible, social media will start to develop algorithms that they don't even understand that will get those eyeballs there. It's an attention economy. The currency is your attention. We use the term pay attention because it's a limited resource. It's quite precious. We can only really attend to one thing at a time. This idea of multitasking is a myth. We're really just splitting our attention rapidly back and forth. And as a result, social media is trying to grab your attention, get it on content, as long as you can stay on their platform, as long as you're drawn back to their platform, and allow advertisers then to monetize it for them by feeding in ads. Well, what have they done to do this? Well, they make it like a slot machine. You pull it, there's a little delay, the likes refresh. That's a little dopamine hit. Intermittent reinforcement has been studied by psychologists. It's the same way Vegas slot machines work. That's what social media does. Why do you think you have to pull down on your email or pull down on Facebook or Instagram to refresh once you post a video? It could do it in real time automatically, It's perfectly within the technology to do that. Why do they do that? Because it's a damn slot machine. Because they know that gets you hooked, that intermittent reinforcement. You pull it, nothing happens. You pull it, nothing happens. You pull it, (gasps) three likes. Now combine that with the financial motive to make money on your clicks to sell you to the advertisers. You're the product. And what happens? We now have a system where they're trying to get your eyeballs. How do they do that? The game, the psychology. They've all studied this, right? And by the way, these are not bad people. These are good people with bad incentives. I've talked to the people at Facebook and YouTube, and these these are good people. Their incentives, how they make money, is fundamentally distorted. So what ends up happening is we we have several problems. One is you have a an addictive substance that all of us have access to now that draws our attention instead of using this as a tool, which is typically how we've used technology historically. Early computers were like this, right? Now, this uses us. It reaches into our mind through addictive pathways, dopamine release and things like that, and causes us to grab it. We take it to bed with us. We check it compulsively. At restaurants, we're always trying to sneak a look. Why? Because it's been designed to grab attention because they're paid to do it. The other thing that they do, you know, we talk about privacy and all that. Facebook doesn't really wanna sell your data. What they want is to take the data. I'm talking about, you know, Let's. I'm saying Facebook could be any social media platform. Any data that you have is actually used internally to design further algorithmic changes to target advertisers to you, to figure out how to reach you further, you know? And in the documentary, they go through brilliantly kind of all the different hacks that they've figured out how to get your attention. Okay, so that's fine. We're grownups. Worst case scenario, we unplug from the matrix, forget about it, right? What about our kids? So Jonathan Haidt, who's a psychology professor whose work I've cited repeatedly, uh, and we've interacted via email, really, really one of my intellectual idols was in this documentary, in in, in far too short a role, I thought he's done work in, in in the book that he cites in the book the coddling of the american mind which you must read i rarely will tell you that read the or listen to the audiobook it will terrify you as to what this stuff is doing and it will explain a lot why we're so polarized right he has cited that our young generation generation y the group born you know 96 97 and later is more depressed more anxious more likely to attempt and carry out suicide, particularly young girls, than any of the other generations. Why? They're the first generation who had social media available during middle school. Why middle school? Think back. Those of you over 30, think back to middle school. It was a disaster. It was so hard, right, for most people. And my daughter, my daughter's in middle school now, so this is personally relevant to me. At that time, there's bullying, there's self-image issues, there's trying to figure out who you are in the world, there's getting through the academics, there's social cliques, there's so much stuff. But the beauty was, in our day, you got out there, you mixed it up, you came home, you were relatively safe, right? Now what happens? Young people now are less likely to drink. They're less likely to go to parties. They're less likely to do risk-taking behavior. They're more likely to sit at home on the bed with this thing, refresh, 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 committing committing acts and being the victims of acts of relational aggression, bullying, um, reputation damage, fear of missing out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, watching clips of the stuff, going down these rabbit holes. And in a way... We've hacked three billion years of evolution into the human mind in a way that we're not ready, we're not wired to deal with this. We've weaponized this technology through our own tribal wiring to make it such that now children can hurt each other at any hour, consistently. And they do it, and especially young girls, they're less physically violent. They're more relationally violent. They try to damage your reputation. They start rumors. uh, They show pictures of themselves in impossible to attain situations with filters that make them look beautiful, changing their self-image and making people feel bad and this FOMO, this fear of missing out, and these young girls are more anxious, they're more depressed, they're more actively suicidal, and there's data for this. This isn't stuff we're making up and the sky is falling like every generation does about the next generation's technology. By the way, we're using the same technology and our problems are a little different, which I'm gonna get to. So this generation, Gen Z, like, look, you can complain about millennials, you can complain about Gen X, you can say, okay, boomer. For Gen Z, do you hear a lot of people complaining and going, "God, these these guys are real punks!" And boy, if, if, in my day, no. We look at Gen Z with pity. They are overparented. They're overprotected. The social media has damaged them. Their sense of what's important is wrecked. They don't go out and play. We have a culture of safetyism. Even with effing coronavirus. We're grabbing our kids like this. Guys, I don't care what your politics are. Kids just barely get touched by coronavirus in a way that actually makes them sick. Flu kills more children than coronavirus. Doesn't mean they can't get sick. Doesn't mean they can't be at risk. But man, there are way bigger threats to their health in the world, and it's social media. Protect them from social media, don't protect them from the imaginary threat to them of coronavirus. Yes, they might spread it to adults, less than adults spread it to them, but we've overprotected them and social media has been the nail. I do not let my daughters use social media. And I won't until they're of an age, maybe it's 18, we don't even know. This is brand new in the history of human evolution. They don't need it. What do you need social media for in middle school? Answer that to me. Oh, but my friends have it. But dad, you're being a butthole. Go out and play. Go meet with your friends. We do Screen Free Sunday where all the devices are gone. There isn't even in- input, right? They don't have social media, but even just watching YouTube videos or watching you know, Preston do Minecraft videos. Ugh. I mean, look. We had TV that was mine. I watched Voltron 24-7, right? But Voltron wasn't this interactive FOMO machine, dude. It was form-blazing sword and the episode's over and it's on at a certain time and you could it, it's then it's gone. It's an on-demand culture of, of real-time bullying that we have through social media and it's damaging these children. All right, so fine, so kids. And this is talked about in the documentary. It's talked about in the Coddling of the American Mind by Height. I've talked about it. I've done videos on it. And look, Samuel makes a comment from YouTube. How are you supposed to meet with your friends when you don't know when they're gonna be out because the, you don't, you, they, don't let, they let you know through social media? Maybe we need to change that. Remember this thing called a telephone where you call somebody and you say, hey, me and so-and-so are gonna be here. Or how about this? How about this? Let your kids out and free play. Let them take some risk. Height writes about this in his book. Why are we so tethered to these digital leashes? It's insane, right? And 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 look, look, look. Let's talk about adults because we think, oh, you know, we're just—it's just an old guy complaining about kids. Yeah, how about adults? We live in the most polarized American society that has existed, and this is measurable. The difference between Republicans and Democrats calling each other the single greatest threat to the country has never been as wide. We live in ideological bubbles that are self-sustaining, how? By algorithms that read our data, read our clicks, see what we're interested in, and continue to feed you more of the same. To the point where people don't even realize there are other ideas from people who aren't insane or villainous because that's how the other side is painted. This has never existed in American society to the degree that it exists now, why? Because the way that social media curates your rabbit hole is based on your previous behavior. It starts to snowball, the next thing you know, all you're doing is getting QAnon videos or all you're doing is getting, you know, left-wing social justice videos, or all you're doing is getting, you know, Trump is a villain videos or Trump is a hero videos. And it's compounded by cable news and all this, but it starts on social media to the point where you cannot go on Twitter without seeing politics slung around by very smart people who should know better. Have a little bit of meta-awareness that you are being manipulated. You're being manipulated, not by people. That would be awesome. Then at least you'd have a villain. You're manipulated by an algorithm that the people who created it don't even understand. The algorithm was designed with one purpose. Suck data out of you, get you to click as much as you can so it generates revenue to support this billion dollar, trillion dollar company. You're being used. All of us are. And the worst part is we don't even know it because it's unconscious. And so what happens? You get political polarization. You have people treating other people as black and white enemies of the state. And then you have coronavirus, where either you think it's a hoax or you think it's the apocalypse, depending on what bubble you're in on social media, what rabbit hole on YouTube you went down And what happens when you actually meet these people in real life and you sit down over drinks or, which you can't do because we're shut down. You meet them over drinks and you talk. You realize they're good people with good motives and you go back and forth and you don't hate each other because you try to be nice to each other because that's how we've evolved in person, not online. Online you can be as big a dick as you want and it's rewarded with clicks from your in-group that then is like, 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 yeah, what he said, man, you show up, you won some points there, man. Forget about truth, forget about civility, forget about discourse, forget about listening to ideas that challenge your own. My God, how many, come? listen, I'm gonna, and this is something that I told my supporters yesterday in, a, in, a, in the private video group where people subscribe Right, So there's no advertising, there's none of that. It's just honest, authentic, effing conversation. Remember authenticity where you're just you instead of trying to be the you that you think social media wants to see so you get the likes and the affirmation and that little shot of dopamine? Are we really different than the middle school girl? Really? I've seen grown physicians freak out when they get negative comments on social media. But this is the part that really gets me. Grown-ass doctors online behave like they have—they're the biggest victims of this manipulation because the bigger their intellect, the easier they are to be manipulated because they have no metacognition at all, no meta-awareness of thinking about how they're thinking, of actually stepping out and going, oh, this does not help in the world. Look at Twitter. The biggest Twitter accounts from doctors are people spewing political garbage on all sides. It's Abject garbage. Why do I say it's garbage? Because it is one line of thinking that is designed to get clicks, that ignores that the other side might have good ideas, might be willing to talk. If He sat down. There are no sides. We're all Americans for God's sake. And instead this schismogenesis, Aaron Ben-David called it on my show, complementary schismogenesis. He went this way, I'm going this way. Because of the politics. I see it every time. Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you do. And if you're in the middle, oh, good, good luck to you. Everybody hates you. Right? Because you're not towing some party tribal line. Why? Social media. You're rewarded for it. The goal now is to score points, social points. Why? Because we're weaponized we've weaponized our tribal instincts. With a technology that we didn't evolve to deal with, and it's basically turned it to twenty-five. It's like having access to sugar. Humans didn't evolve; we we evolved where sugar was a scarcity. You find it in nature and fruits and things like that. And when you find it, you eat a shit ton of it because it's right there, and you're not going to have another chance to get it. So, what happens when sugar is widely available? We have obesity, diabetes, heart disease, all the side effects of that hyper availability of sugar. Well, what's Social media done, hyper availability of tribal relational aggression and the immediate reward that comes when someone agrees with you or disagrees with you and you get into it. How many of you guys have stayed up at night over some Twitter feud or social media feud you've had? And how does that relate to how many feuds you've had in real life where you've stayed up at night? I'm gonna bet the ratio was like 10 to one social media because it's so much easier to get into BS uh, discussions, Miss Goody Two Shoes. Yes, I read both threads. I can see all your comments here, Facebook, YouTube, everybody. Um, greetings from Stockholm, Sweden, Ursula. Greetings back to you. Thanks for watching the show. All right, listen. So now you have these the schismogenesis that Facebook, YouTube, all these social media things, Instagram, absolutely complicit in creating conspiracies. So it turns out you look at coronavirus. And you guys know where I stand on that shit. I I think that we should never, like lockdowns in retrospect will be seen as a mistake. I think that shutting schools down is a terrible mistake. I think we have a culture of safetyism where we try to save everybody and we can't. I think we overestimate how effective we are, both in public health in the medical community and otherwise at at stopping um, a pandemic when it's already out of the box, like it has been in the US, right? It's different if you're in Singapore and you never let it start. Of course, what happens when they open their borders again? It's gonna be right back unless we have a vaccine, which we hope will happen in a safe and effective way. But by now, social media has turned us into camps where it's either the denialists, which then I'll be lumped in just for saying, I think lockdowns were a mistake, because people want a schismogenesis, even though I'm like, everyone should wear a mask. Oh, well, now he's, now he's a liberal. I can't, li- I can't share it now, or I'm gonna share it with an angry face. Come on, you guys. Why do you gotta click all the ideologic boxes and be an ideologic purist? Why? Because social media conditions us to be that way. It doesn't condition us to have a rational discourse, to think for our damn selves, to say, you know what? This is what I believe based on everything I, I've learned. And I look at all the bubbles, not just my own, I fell into that bubble problem too. I have to look at all of them because that's what I do. That's how I do a show. But but other people, you see them on, on, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, they thrive on creating these bubbles, not having the discourse. The people I've had on my show like Vinay Prasad, Monica Gandhi, They go out there and they put out, they're willing to change their minds, they're looking at all the data, they have their own politics, but they don't use it as a bludgeon on on other people. I mean, come on, dude. Then you look at accounts like, and I'm not gonna name names, but they have hundreds of thousands of followers. I'll name one name, Eugene Gu, this guy's a doctor. What does he do? It's just pure political bludgeon. It's ideological purity, splitting people based on politics, and he's crushing it on Twitter. Even though he's not, I mean he got kicked out of residency at Duke. Why? Because social media responds and rewards the worst of us. The incentives are all broken, the money games are wrong, it's all screwed up. So what's the answer, you guys, before we go to some comments? What's the answer? Nobody has the answer. This is brand new. I'll tell you this though, I think that this idea of um, monetizing advertising clicks is very difficult. There's gotta be a better way, you know? And remember, this is something that was said in The Social Dilemma. When you get something for free, you are the product. So let that sink in. When you get something for free, you are the product. When you're using Facebook or Instagram for free, You're the product. Your attention is being sold to advertisers. Your clicks and any gaming of the algorithm that enhances that sale, ideologic schisms, conspiracy theories, which by the way, spread six times more rapidly on Twitter than real science. Then we wonder why 41% of Americans would never touch a COVID vaccine This is an existential threat to our functioning in the world, but we've let it slide, because we're addicted. Don't take this away from me. I'm in the same boat. You don't think I have trouble sometimes sleeping at night thinking about, man, how can I, 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 I'm part of the same problem I'm railing against. Now, the, the, the difference is, hey, we're growing these supporter groups, both on YouTube and Facebook, where none of those games are played. I don't care how many views I get in a supporter video. I care about you guys talking to me, right? And advertisers don't exist there. And you're paying to be there, which means you're not the product. You're the customer. People are like, who's paying you, Z? You're paying me. It's a beautiful thing. I'm only beholden to you. That means you're holding me accountable to be authentic and original to my own self. And if you like that, you continue to subscribe, if you hate it and you're annoyed by it, you bounce. Maybe that's how we ought to do it. Maybe we ought to have micro-sponsorships with Bitcoin or something where you give a few pennies to creators you like, and it's not a financial burden for you, but there is some skin in the game and you take the advertisers out of it. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but we better start asking these questions. And here's another call to action. Thank you, Amy. That's kind of you. Amy says she'll gladly pay. Um, Kevin Hulet says, address the elephant and not the writer. Okay, that's important. So what what Kevin's talking about is we're unconscious emotionally driven on social media. We respond emotionally. So here's my call to action. It ties right into it. Think before you link, homie. (laughs) Don't just share shit because it fits your ideological narrative. Think before you share it, take a pause. Hey, okay, am I doing this because unconsciously this is confirming my bias that already exists that I'm in an echo chamber? Is it gonna do any good in the world? Is it gonna convince people on the fence on an issue to change their mind? No, is it gonna just continue to support my own tribe and preach to the choir? Yes, then maybe I shouldn't do it. Or maybe I should preface it with some text that clarifies what my thinking is, the nuance of my thinking. Maybe I should share content from creators that are creating nuanced content, long-form content, content that dives into it. Maybe I should look at my my own responses mindfully and watch it with a little meta-awareness, a little meta-cognition, a little bit of mindfulness, which is a dirty word these days because all the corporate bastards have taken it and turned it into some productivity tool. It's not a damn productivity tool. It's a way to be better, in the world for yourself and others. And if we all did that, if we all had a little bit of that, social media would implode on itself. It'd be like, oh, this isn't working. And it would re-evolve into something useful, into a tool that we use, instead of a tool that uses us as a tool. I mean, that's really it. Let me take some comments here. Kira Boyd says I shared this video already. Hopefully it wasn't knee-jerk. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the same thing. I share this video. Well, you better watch it first. Don't just read the headline. Um, The Happiness Advantage is a book uh turned happy into productivity. Hooli. There's a million of these self help books. Happiness is not, if you're chasing happiness, you're gonna be, oh, and here's the okay, this fuck. Sorry, I'm not supposed to curse. Um I said this in my video, which got pulled by YouTube and Facebook because of the copyright Netflix thing. Hopefully I'll try to get it up there though. I'm gonna appeal it. Social media gives you this sense, especially as a creator, that you're grasping for something. And if I just get this many likes, this many followers, if I just get this much affirmation, this many likes on my comment, this many shares, this many people tag me, I'll be happy. But I'm telling you right now, it's never, Enough. It is never enough. No matter what you do, it's never enough. It's grasping and grasping and attaining and dopamine and grasping and grasping and attaining and dopamine. More, more, more. What is that? That's heroin. That's cocaine. That's alcohol. That's addiction. That's what this is. You're grasping and grasping and grasping and you're never happy. That's addiction. And that's what this shit is right here. And I'll tell you, Once you let go of the grasping and you realize happiness isn't something you grasp for, it's something that's available always and forever in the present moment right now if you're just aware enough to accept this moment as it is and to understand happiness is found between us. Not happiness is found within. Not happiness is found somewhere out there. Happiness is found in the relationships between us in this present moment. How do you get those relationships? Not through a damn computer. You get them by connecting with other human beings in a way that doesn't create schismogenesis, but creates love, compassion, connection, this desire to live together in the world in the best possible way we can. That requires a little bit of wokeness. That's not a liberal thing. It's not a conservative thing. It's a damn human thing. We think for ourselves. We're always authentic to who it is. We are in this expression of the world. You know what? I'm gonna be honest with y'all. That's why I love ZDogg Athustra, says 8-8 on YouTube. By the way, I'm a Zoroastrian, so he's referring to Zarathustra, which is our religion's prophet. I'm not religious that way, but... That's deeply complimentary to me, so thank you. And his whole thing was, that prophet's whole thing was good thoughts, good words, good deeds. If we can just do that in the world, right? And I'll be honest with you, the reason I like live video, like what we're doing right now, is that live video, and I'm gonna get meta for a second and a little bit metaphysical, so I'm looking right at you when I'm saying this. There's 2,400 people watching across platforms. Live video means that you have to be authentically you in a moment where you've ripped open a hole into the present moment. And through that portal comes words and connection with other human beings that are connected at the same wavelength at the same time and are receiving this together. Not only are, you're not producing this, you're a channel from the something that we don't understand into the present moment and it is as authentic and original as anything can be. And when I say original, I don't mean new. I mean, authentically true to the person talking in that moment, in a live, connecting with other human beings in a sacred way. And I don't use that term likely. It's a way that transcends so much of the bullshit we deal with on a daily basis. And that's why 99% of the canned talks you see on TV, on social media, in lecture halls, turn you into a vegetable. It's in those moments when someone's being truly authentic in the present moment, in real time for you, with you, through you, that we feel that sense. It's, it's almost a sense of bliss. It's a magical present moment awareness. That's happiness, that's engagement, that's connection, that's goosebumps, that's what social media could be. So why are we settling for so much less? That's my main call to action. And I gotta say for the creators out there, the people who wanna put themselves out there, go out there and do a live video. Be you, be authentically you, be bold, be courageous, don't be afraid and do it. If you're worried about your employer, do it in a closed group. I don't care but just do it, be you, channel you, think for yourself and watch the world change, period, it will. Forget the group think that the algorithm is manipulating us into doing. All right, guys. Kevin says, I'm ready, give me the Kool-Aid. You got it, I got a jug of it. It's where the Kool-Aid guy comes to, oh yeah, comes to, I just dated myself. Um Christine Clips says, as a 70-year-old scaredy cat regarding COVID, I needed to hear your message today. You guys, we've been living in fear. I was terrified at one point in this epidemic. You can watch my old videos. Watch me be bold about it. Say this is, we're overreacting. We're causing economic harm or causing health harm or causing social harm. And then, oh my God, we need to do this and this and this and this because the fear contagion infects Everyone, it's really, really bad. Social media, social media, social media. If you're in a, if you're in a uh, ideological wormhole, it's hard to escape. You need to see all sides and think clearly. And listen, we're at a point now where I've talked about this. I think we need to start getting over our fear and st- stop watching the news. Stop it. It's bad for you. It's bad for your mind. Some anchor can sneeze on your brain with a social contagion from billions of miles away, doesn't matter, and you're screwed. Let's take a couple more comments. Um, The only way to get coronavirus is from watching too much CNN, (laughs) Max on YouTube. That's such a YouTube comment. Uh, I think you can actually get coronavirus other ways, Max, but I think the fear of coronavirus is definitely enhanced by watching CNN, and it's a real thing, you guys, it's not a hoax. People have died, 200,000 people. I think that number is probably an underestimate, but does that change my assessment? Bad things happen, we go through these things, we don't destroy the fabric of our society because there's not a lot of evidence that it helps. And the evidence that that we're seeing, that oh, the lockdowns help this and that, we're bending the curve, what, to what? If the same number of people ultimately get infected, what have we done? Well, we're racing towards a vaccine. What if it doesn't work? We've gambled our children's education, the meals that they have in school, the social fabric, the substance abuse, the alcohol abuse, the suicides, the people's jobs and livelihoods destroyed, turning people dependent on unemployment who were otherwise independent. We've done all that on the gamble that we'll get to a vaccine that no one's going to take because social media is poisoned us against vaccines, hoping that then uh, we make things better. Well, what if this was just gonna take its course, as it did in Sweden, people love to bash the Swedes, talk to them, look at what's happening now. Yeah, they had a per capita mortality that was higher than some others, but they've stayed cohesive as a culture. A lot of those deaths were in nursing homes early on that could have prevented in hindsight by focusing on targeted solutions, which we should have done as well. And now, deaths and cases down. Cases may go up, deaths aren't really gonna rise that much, you guys. I really think so. But let's watch, let's see. I hope I'm not proven wrong on that because it'd be bad for people, right? But I think it's time we woke up out of this dream we've been in and started looking clearly at things. Non ideologically at things. And I promise you, I'm going to bring you guests that are looking more clearly, right? Um, I think we did a thing today, guys. Uh, Sorry to go so long. Um, I'm just seeing if there's any other comments I want to look at real quick. Um, Yeah, no, these are great comments. Interspose, uh, you know, Nori Chan says it best, actually. I'm going to end on that comment. I'm heartbroken. I'm heartbroken too. I'm heartbroken for the people who've died from coronavirus alone on a ventilator. You know, their family's not even, they're on an iPad at best. You know, that's heartbreaking. I'm heartbroken for the frontline healthcare professionals who've died, who've given their lives because they didn't have PPE from a virus that, you know, people in their social media bubbles are calling a hoax. It's not a hoax, it's a real thing. It's killed, I'm I'm heartbroken for the people who have long-term consequences, who've had strokes and heart attacks and cardiomyopathy. And I'm heartbroken for the kids who aren't getting good educations, who were already had all the decks stacked against them through poverty, through cyclic poverty, through generational poverty. And we talk about racial inequity and social justice. This is something that dates back to the, hundreds of years ago. That momentum is not something you snap your fingers and it goes away because you post on social media a hashtag with a slogan. It's something that requires all of us to look clear eyed at the roots of poverty, discrimination, and the inequity in outcomes. Is it because of an inequity in opportunity? Is it because of this, gener- I mean, I'm heartbroken that we can't even ask these questions without being branded some kind of racist or some kind of social justice warrior. I'm heartbroken that we can't talk to each other. I'm heartbroken that small businesses, people who put their blood, sweat, and tears being their authentic self and channeling that present moment authenticity, like I said, into their business have been wiped out by something that they didn't control, they didn't ask for, and that probably is misguided. In retrospect, when we look back on it, we're gonna say, shoot, we really screwed this up. We panicked, we let fear drive it, and even our scientists are in their own thought bubbles. They're not listening to other ideas. So enough with being heartbroken, let's do something. I think you can share this video if you want. If you don't, that's cool. You can join our tribe, that's cool, whatever. What I really want you to do is wake up and be meta-aware. Watch yourself when you're on social media and see what it's doing. If your kids are coming of age, think about not letting them access actual their own social media. Maybe they can text their friends, maybe they can have a phone, but letting them have accounts, I really think it's a bad idea. And I've talked to my kids about it. I've said, "You you just don't need it. You just don't need it. And their friends that do have it are not happy people. So that's something we can do right now. Watch the social dilemma, or better yet, watch the version I'm gonna try to put out because it's the Cliffs Notes. And uh, I love you guys. I really do. I do. I feel I feel so much compassion and gratitude for being able to get to do what I do with you in a live way. It's so important for me to be able to express what I'm thinking and and I hope you guys do the same thing, whatever way you can express the authentic you. All right? Now I gotta figure out how to turn this off in a way that doesn't break the internet. Let me see. All right, I love y'all and we are out, peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just gotta ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe.